Jesus had taught that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. There was an ongoing struggle between Jesus and the Pharisees. They said he came to abolish the law. Jesus said, no, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. That is to teach it in its fullness and to live it in its fullness. So then Jesus gave six examples of how the teaching of the Pharisees did not go far enough in terms of righteousness and what it means to follow God in righteousness. Then he gave us three examples where in their practice they did not go far enough in practicing righteousness. For he said that they had done these things in order to receive the praise of men rather than to receive the praise of God. But it wasn't Jesus' intention merely to find fault with the Pharisees. He was using the Pharisees as an example of a warning to his disciples. So in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. The admonition is for his disciples to be aware, to be concerned, to take heed, to evaluate their lives, to make sure that their motives were right in observing these various rituals and religious practices. For Jesus is concerned with the heart. This morning, we are going to consider the danger of thinking that our lives are centered on the kingdom, when in fact, they really may be centered in the world. This beware extends to the particular passage that we are in this morning. The disciples and the Pharisees, the Pharisees did not accept the teaching of Jesus. They didn't accept the um, way in which they were being characterized as hypocrites. They, they rejected that. And it's so easy to reject any kind of warning or admonition that Jesus gives as though that's not true of me. That's not really practical of me. That's not describing who I am. I wonder who among us this morning would not say that it is best to follow the ways of the kingdom, that we should put God first in our lives. Who would argue and say, no, no, God shouldn't be first in my life. Something else ought to be more important than God. I really doubt anyone here would say that. And so we would proclaim that uh, we are indeed seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, believing that all these other things will be added to us. But the question comes, how do we objectively evaluate our commitment? How do we look at our lives and know whether or not what we profess is really reflected in our day-to-day routine. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Meaning, who can really understand the motivations of one's own heart? Uh, Certainly, you can't know my heart, but the scripture teaches I can't even know my own heart. 
And Paul says, I have nothing against myself, but in that I'm not acquitted. Uh, for he knows that uh, he doesn't know his own heart. Well, this morning we have a passage that gives us three instruments for evaluating our hearts before God. Today's passage is extremely thought-provoking if we will indeed allow it to be so. If we will take to heart, as it were, these admonitions and concerns. There are three metaphors provided for us in the passage that we are going to look at to help us make a proper inventory of our lives, if you will. They are treasures, eyes, and masters. I have formulated three questions to help us get to the central truth of each metaphor to help us evaluate our lives, how spiritually healthy we are, if you will. So, first, what is our life's orientation? What is our life's orientation? What am I investing my life in? And the metaphor is of treasures. Look with me at Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. To lay up is to accumulate, and I'm going to use the word this morning to invest, because I think that communicates to us very well in our culture, in our society. So the question is, what are we investing our treasures in? What I'd like you to note is that the treasures in verse 19 and the treasures in verse 20 are the same. Notice in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's the same word. So treasures here aren't different on earth than they are in heaven. The the treasures are the same. The investments are the same. Treasures are those things that are precious to us, that are endearing to us, and often because they are of limited quantity or value, uh, I mean of, of resource. So I would submit to you this morning that a good way of understanding treasures in this passage are our resources. Time, energy, and money. Time, energy, and money. So the question is, where are you investing your time, your energy, and your money? The key is not what you're investing, for it is the same in both instances. The difference is where you are investing them. Notice a subtle but very important distinction uh, in Matthew 6.19. Know what the text says. Do not lay up for yourself treasures upon earth, and now here's the word, where moth and rust doth corrupt. Verse 20. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Think with me a moment if you would change the word where to that. 
Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth that moth and rust doth destroy. You see, it's talking about location. If it were that, it would be the treasures that would rust and corrupt. But it is saying where treasures rust and corrupt. So the idea is put your treasures in a safe place. You may have a coat. It's not about the coat. It's where you put the coat. Are you going to put it in a place where moth and rust gets at it? Or are you going to put it in a place where it's safe from a moth and can't get at it? It's very real to me. I just took out an old suit and I found a hole in it. It was a place where a moth could get to. The idea here is to invest in a safe place. You don't want to make a risky investment, a place where your time, energy, and money will have been wasted and prove to be of lesser value. I'll say more about that later on. But the reason is the most significant. Because the reason seems a bit odd. It's not solely because you can lose your investment, but rather the reason that is given is because it is revelatory. Look at verse 21. For, there's the reason. For, or because, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the way to evaluate our commitment is to look at where we are investing our treasures, whether they be things that are advancing the kingdom of God or things that are just related to this life and this world and separate from the purposes of Christ. Where are you investing? Because where you invest reveals where your heart really is. Now, the text is not saying invest here because your heart's going to follow. Wherever you invest, that's what you're going to become concerned about. Now, one could argue that that is is true. Have you ever bought a new car and all of a sudden you see that make and model everywhere? You become aware of it, you become notice of it. I'm sure if you invest in stocks, you probably follow the stock market. But the text here is actually saying It's not that where you invest, there's where your heart will go, but rather it is saying where you invest is really where your heart is. It really shows what you're most concerned about. It shows what you value, what you really are engaged in. If you want to evaluate your commitment to the kingdom, our text is saying, Look at how you're spending your time and how you're spending your energies, your activities, and how you're using your money. That will show us. And we may be a bit surprised that we think we are more committed than what we really are. And we may find that we're not giving nearly as much time in energy or money to the kingdom's purposes as we are to other purposes. Secondly, 
What do you see when you take a close look at your priorities? What do you see when you take a close look at your priorities? The metaphor is of the eye. A person has said that our eyes are windows to our soul. I think that's very fitting for this particular passage. Eyes are windows to the soul. Notice Matthew 6.22. The lamp of the body is the eye. The lamp of the body is the eye. The eye can be very revealing as to what is going on inside. Think, for example, even our physical eyes. Our physical eyes tell us a lot about our physical health and well-being. If you have circles under your eyes, probably not getting enough rest, enough sleep. If you have sad and droopy eyes, you may be depressed and unhappy. You might be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and have a twinkle in your eye. All is going well, and you're ready to take on life's challenges. Or your eyes may be bloodshot. And maybe you're hungover or have some other reason for impairment. But the eyes can be extremely revealing about the state of our health. Here we find that our eyes can be very revealing about the state of our spiritual health and our spiritual well-being. If your eye is clear in this passage... It lets light in so that your whole body is healthy. Your whole body then is engulfed in light. In verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is blind, it lets in no light. And your whole body will become affected by that. It will be unhealthy. Notice verse 23. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's bad. If therefore the light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If our eye doesn't let the light in, then we are in darkness, and my, how great that darkness is, is what the text is saying. In other words... We have to be on guard of being spiritually blind. Of our eyes not allowing our innermost being, which is our heart, to be enlightened. The first example was, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now the second example is, what's going to affect your heart? What's going to govern the state or well-being of your heart? In this instance, it's the eye, and it's allowing light to come in. The thought is, what is it that we are fixing our eyes upon? Is what we are fixing our eyes upon blinding us, like looking into the sun... 
And it's blinding us so that we cannot see, or is what we are looking at healthy and and beneficial? We might use such words as, what is your eye to the future? I would simply say to you this morning, what are your hopes and aspirations? What are your goals? What do you want to get out of life? What constitutes success? What will make you happy? Those are very real questions that govern each and every one of our lives. And the answers to those questions are extremely important because they are going to then provide the basis of the agenda for how you live your life. For certainly the goal is to be successful. But the question is, what is success? The goal is to be happy, but what constitutes happiness? The goal is to be secure, but where is security to be found? You see, the answers to those questions are going to ultimately cause us to be in light or darkness. And they're going to motivate us in our relationship to the kingdom of heaven or this world. So the question is, are you focusing on the right things in life? Or are you focusing on the wrong things? Or are you living your life blindly? And that is, in a lackadaisical way, having no focus at all. No goals, no dreams, no aspirations, no thought about tomorrow. Just living life. Well, that too is extremely dangerous and certainly unprofitable for the kingdom. Let me put it to you another way. We're talking about investing our treasures. Time, energy, and money. What are you hoping to get out of your investment? What are you hoping at the end of your life that you're going to have accumulated as a result of all the time and all the energy, and all the money you've laid out. What's the, what's the final goalpost? When will you have arrived? What is it out there that, that you are working so hard to get? When you go to, to work, and you're not just thinking about your immediate paycheck, but, but as you just sit back and, and you dream about the future... What's that paycheck going to achieve for you? Man, you're, you're, you're working hard. Maybe you're, you're going to school. Maybe you're studying. Maybe you're, you're working you know, long hours. Maybe you're working overtime. And you're, you're putting all this energy and all this, this effort. What do you hope to achieve by it in the end? And then the question is, Is that kingdom-oriented? Or is that earthly-oriented? Is that going to mean something for all eternity? Or is it going to be something that ultimately is going to be done away with?
So what kind of return are you looking on for your investment? Third point. is that we must try to avoid living a duplicitous lifestyle. Now, you may say, what in the world is duplicitous? Well, there is a temptation of trying to live both for Christ and for the world at the same time. Trying to have your cake and eat it too, as it were. And so Matthew 6.24 says, No man can serve two masters. You can't please two kings. You can't act like a citizen of the kingdom at the same time you're trying to act like a citizen of this world. It's saying you can't do it. It can't be done. Well, why can't it be done? Answer, Because they have competing values. They have competing values. The idea of what success is is different in those two kingdoms. The idea of what is most important is different in those two kingdoms. The idea of what is going to bring security is different in those two kingdoms. For example, I've been talking about investment. If you're talking about earthly investments, what's the most important thing? Be diversified. You want to have a portfolio that's got gold in it. You want a portfolio that's got commodities. You want a a, a portfolio that has stocks. You want a portfolio that has bonds. Why? Because it's all risky. And you don't know which one of these is going to go belly up in the future. Which one is going to prosper? Which is going to go backwards, and so the best thing you can do is invest in a diversity of ways. The scripture says, invest in one thing. Invest in the kingdom. And all these other things will be added to you. It is a different lifestyle and choice. Because we are so taught that diversity is king, I think there's a real temptation today for Christians to try at the same time to be fully dedicated to the Lord and at the same time meet all the goals and aspirations of the non-believing world around us. We try to do both things. But you can't have two gods. You've got to make choices in life. You can't live in two different realms or kingdoms at the same time. We think of our use of time. You can't give yourself to two different endeavors at the same moment. Our energies. You can't be in two places at the same time. Money, if you've got $50 to spend, you can't spend it on two different items, each costing $50. You constantly have to make choices. And here it is telling us that you can't serve God and at the same time serve what non-believers trust in. 
It says you cannot serve God, and uh, the NAS that I'm using this morning says mammon. Mammon. That's what uh, this edition of the NAS says. It's also what the King James translates it. ESV and NIV translate this word as money. It could be money, but it is much more than that. That is just too narrow an understanding of this passage. And so I quote from the Jewish annotated New Testament, and it states, and I quote, One must observe the irony of this term. The term was originally derived from aman, which means trust or reliance, meaning that in which other than God, one places one's trust. So the word for mammon is really the word for trust. And it could be God and anything else that people trust in. Anything else that that people look to instead of God. For example, where are you looking for your security? What do you think is going to be the guarantee that you are going to be taken care of for the rest of your life? Well, it might be money, and you might be trying to get a big enough nest egg that it's going to see you through your retirement until the day that you die. And you may spend a great deal of time and energy and resources in securing this amount of money that is going to make it safe for you until the day that you die. Or you may be investing your time and energy into not money, but being healthy. And that's what's going to be your security into the future. You are just going to be robust in health. And so you're devoting your time and energy to to running and to to exercise and to taking physical care of yourself and eating right and you're reading the books and you're doing all the things that are necessary in order that you are going to have a safe and secure future. Or you may be trusting in God to take care of you and providing you with this, this safe future. What are you trusting in for the well-being of your children? What do you think is going to make your your children successful? What is of greatest value in their lives? Their education. Their exposure to so many different opportunities and avenues in life. Make sure they're doing 110 things all at the same time. Being in church. Memorizing scripture. I tell you, these are competing values. Competing values. And we have to be concerned that our commitment is as real as we think it is. And that we don't deceive ourselves in this area. Like on our currency, on our dollar bills, on our coinage, You know what it says. In God we trust. In God we trust. To remind ourselves that while I use these bucks to do a lot of important things, I'm ultimately not trusting in this money, but I'm trusting in God. There have been 
a number of challenges of late in the Supreme Court concerning the references to God in both the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, and on our currency, and God do we trust. And secularists have tried to get that verbiage out of the Pledge of Allegiance and off our money, to get rid of saying one nation under God, and to get rid of saying in God we trust. So far, the Supreme Court has upheld the wording on our currency, in God we trust. But I find the reasoning very interesting. Why they say it's not a violation of our Constitution to have the words in God we trust. So I quote, Ceremonial deisms are protected from establishment clause scrutiny chiefly because they have lost through rote repetition any significant religious content. End of quote. Put that in modern language. It doesn't matter because we don't really believe it. That's a vestige of our heritage. Nobody takes that seriously is what the Supreme Court is saying. Over years, over usage, over rote, it has come to mean nothing. So let it be on the, on the money. It doesn't hurt anything. It certainly isn't going to establish a religion, is what the Supreme Court is saying. It's not going to affect anybody. Nobody's going to become a worshiper of God because you've got in God we trust on your, on your, on your money. The Supreme Court has come to the conclusion that's meaningless. Well, this morning, we have a very practical question of, in God we trust, what does that mean to us? And how significant is that for us? You can't trust in two different entities to make us happy, to define what uh, success is, to be fulfilled, to be secure, all the major questions in life. Our text is teaching us that to try to live a duplicitous lifestyle, that is trying to be, at one and the same time, a fully committed Christian, while at the same time as adopting the same kinds of aspirations and goals and desires of the non-believing world, trying to do those things at the same time can't be done. And not only that, It says this in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. A duplicitous lifestyle will not work. It will only lead to frustration and discontentment. Now let me say that ordinary life choices are not simple, of course, and we know that. And many of life's choices have a degree of complexity to them. For example, do I work overtime and provide for my family, or do I refuse the overtime and donate my time to the church? 
But I submit to you that both of those are kingdom issues. Both of them have a spiritual concern, a spiritual responsibility. So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about things that are opposed to each other. Things that are going to lead us in two entirely different directions. The passage before us is not all that nuanced. And we don't have to make it that difficult. The point is, we've got to make choices in life. And we have to establish priorities. And what is ours? Is it the kingdom? Or do my priorities look an awful lot like the non-believing world around me? Again, realizing that the way I measure that is my time, my energy, and my money, the use of it. The temptation is to try to live in two different worlds at the same time. To maintain Christian values while at the same time having the same aspiration, goals, and desires of non-Christians. Let me ask you this morning. Do you find yourself frustrated? Do you look at your life and have you said to yourself, there are just too many demands on my life. There is just too much for me to do. I'm at wit's end. I can't get it all done. There's not enough money at the end of the month. There's just not, I'm I'm tired all the time. Maybe it's from trying to live in two kingdoms. Maybe it's trying to do it all. To be a fully committed Christian at the same time as I'm trying to get all the same things that the world is trying to get. And it results in frustration. It results in uh, anger. And it results in disappointment. In disappointment. I'll tell you what really, I think, makes this passage so relevant and so difficult. It is tough enough to make choices for yourself. Compound that 20 times when you're making choices for your family. And I'm thinking especially right now with people that have children. Because children, by very definition, are immature. Uh, They don't differentiate very well between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. It is very, very likely that children are going to be incredibly impacted by their peers and want to do the same things that they do, and want to have the same things that they have, and want to be involved in all the same activities that they have. Now here's the rub. As parents, you don't want to frustrate or disappoint them. And so you work hard that they can be in all the activities that all their friends are in, 
And you work real hard. You provide them with all the things that their, their friends have so they're not out of step and, you know, they're not made fun of and, and all these things. And, and believe me, I get it. I have kids. I got grandkids. I get it. Okay. And you don't want them to miss out on anything in life. So you make sure that, you know, they're playing sports and they're doing music and they're doing all the other things. And at the same time, you're saying, but, you know, you ought to be memorizing Embark. At the same time, we expect you to be at church, but at the same time, you've got a, a volleyball game. You know, boom, where, you know, where do I go? Do I go to the volleyball game? Do I, I go to church? Do, you know, what? I, I got homework. I got, I got Embark. I got, and, and life gets so frustrating. And the scripture says, at some point, you're going to despise one of them. At some point, you're just going to throw in the towel and say, I can't juggle all of this anymore. And you're going to be forced to make a choice. Because you just can't handle it anymore. And what choice will you make? What will have proven to be of the greatest value. I think the real challenge today for the Christian home is to instill within the children kingdom priorities. And not give in to the temptation of trying to do everything at the same time. Does that mean I'm against Little League? No. Does that mean I'm against musicals? No. Does that mean I'm against... No, it doesn't. All I'm saying to you people is we have to have priorities. And all those things can be used for the kingdom. But we have to honestly look at our situation. I am... Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and the week after that is Easter. So I'm not going to be able to immediately uh, follow up on uh, this particular message. So with that, I want us to look at the next section extremely quickly. Look at verse 25. Therefore, uh, So at the end of verse 24, you cannot serve God in money. Verse 25, therefore I say unto you, do not be anxious. Verse 28, do not be anxious. Verse 31, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Look at verse 31. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek after. Gentiles here is a way to refer to the non-believing world. The Gentiles were not Jews. They they were considered to be as as non-believers. So here again is this contrast between the believing world and non-believing world. And the Ongoing admonition is don't be anxious. I'm anxious to look at this passage, right? Uh, in the future. But it says don't be anxious. 
The conclusion is, of course, and you know the passage well, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. My thought to you this morning is simply this. The scripture teaches us that you can't invest in two things wholeheartedly. You've got to make a choice. And your choice is between the kingdom and this world. The kingdom is a safe choice. Because that can't be taken away from you. It's not risky. No moths there, no, no rust there. Your treasures are secure. This world is risky business. Because there's rust here and, and there's moths here. And things may not turn out at all like you had hoped and you desire if you invest your time and energies here. But if you invest your energies there, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to worry. Because God will take care of you. God knows what you have need of. He'll make sure all these things are provided. That's what the next section is all about. And I'll expound that in much greater detail. But I wanted to go there simply this. Because I'm concerned about our families. And when I say our families, I mean our families. I'm concerned about mine too. And the priorities and choices that we make. And especially for parents. In the anxiety that they experience in answering the question, am I making the right choice? Am I investing my time and my energy and my money the right way? And as you're sitting in a car waiting for your kids and frustrated, whether that frustration is at a Christmas party here at the church or band practice, it doesn't matter. If I'm sitting in my car frustrated and waiting for my child, And saying to myself, I really should be someplace else. Or you're looking at your your finances and you're saying, man, I I really shouldn't be spending my money this way. I, I don't have that $50 right now to spend on this. Whether that be my ties or those basketball shoes. We can just go to bed frustrated because here are our concerns. Number one, we want our children to know that we love them. Number two, we want them to grow up to love God and want to serve him. Third, we want them to be well-rounded. We want them to be developed We want them to experience the the joys of life. We want them to be happy. And by all means, we want them to love us. And if we say no, they may become frustrated with us, and who knows, they may become rebellious, and, and our minds can just race with worry and anxiety and complexity. 
our passage is teaching us, don't worry. Don't worry. If you make the choices for the kingdom, you've made the right choice. You can rest in God's care for you. But if you don't choose the kingdom, there's a lot of moths out there. There's a lot of rust out there. And you may be sincerely disappointed in all that takes place. I think we all say, that's what I want. I want the kingdom for my family and my children. Well then, take a hard look at your time, your energy, and your use of money. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for a passage such as this. We don't find it to be pleasant, to be sure. It never is to have to evaluate our lives and think that there may need to be changes of priority. Uh, Lord, uh, maybe we're sitting here and we're saying we're doing just fine, and we just thank you for that. And uh, may it bring hope and encouragement to us. Uh, Lord, uh, certainly it is not our intent to scold this morning, or to belittle, or to ridicule, or to minimize the difficulty of these choices. But Lord, help us to see what's going to cause my children the greatest well-being. What's really going to bring them happiness? What's really going to bring them security? What's really going to establish them for the rest of their life? Oh Lord, help us to have a long-term outlook. And not just today or tomorrow. May we see all these things as investments that ultimately will pay off in time, energy, and our use of our finances. And oh Lord, I pray at the end of the day that we won't be disappointed, for we have found that we have wasted our time, energy, and resources on things that ultimately didn't matter and lust corrupted and moths destroyed and lives have been hurt. But, oh Lord, give us wisdom to understand kingdom choices. And may we believe that at the end, that's what's going to be best for our children. That's what's going to cause them to have security. That's what's going to cause them to have happiness. That's what's going to watch over them and protect them. And, oh Lord, give us wisdom. For we know it's not a simple decision on each and every question. But overall, Lord, it really is kind of simple. So we ask not only for wisdom this morning, but courage. Courage to live and choose for the kingdom. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.